welcome to another episode of Have You Tried Not Being a Podcast? That's this show. I'm your host, Yael Teagle. I'm joined always by my amazing co-hosts. I have Tony Sanchez. Hello, Tony. Hi. And Chris is here. Hello, Chris Lamb. Hello. Hi. Uh, we have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking a little bit about queer baiting and queer coding um, because we like pop culture and that seems to happen a lot in pop culture, especially these days. Uh, so before we jump in, as a reminder, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. But if you're on our YouTube channel, that hashtag shows YouTube channel, make sure you like this video. That'd be nice. All right, let's jump into queer baiting and queer coding. So I got a couple definitions for us. I'm going to read these out. These are the Wikipedia definitions, so not dictionary definition, but what Wikipedia says. So queer baiting is a marketing technique for fiction and entertainment in which creators hint at and then do not actually depict same-sex romance or other LGBTQ representation. They do so to attract or bait a queer or straight ally audience with a suggestion of relationship or characters that appeal to them, while at the same time attempting to avoid alienating other consumers. That is the Wikipedia definition of queer baiting. Queer coding, on the other hand, is the subtextual coding of a character in media as queer. Though such characters' sexual identity may not be explicitly confirmed within their respective work, a character may be coded as queer through the use of traits or stereotypes recognizable to the audience. We are familiar with these things, yes? Yes, very much so. Overly so. <laughs> Um, I want to know, uh, how would you define these? Do you think these are fair definitions? Do you think they're kind of the same um, sometimes? And, uh, hmm. you know, who are who are some terrible or great examples? Are there great examples? Let's start there. In Ooh. any, is this ever positive? I, I Well, okay. I think queer coding is the one that is kind of devoid of a judgment. Right. Mm. You're just talking at you're just talking about the traits that are there within a character, whether or not that's a positive or negative thing is kind of irrelevant for the definition. Queer baiting, however, is I think we can definitely say like that tends to be more negative, uh, at mm -hmm. least for I think in this crowd, because it's like you're giving us something that is very at least to our eyes, obvious that this is supposed to be a queer person, a queer relationship depicted on screen, but you're not actually going the full 10 yards to actually say, oh, that's a gay person or that's a queer person or a lesbian couple or whatever. Um, I think queer baiting is the more cynical uh, of the two where queer coding is just saying like, it is there. That is a fact, a matter of fact, that those traits are there and depicted within this particular piece of fiction or entertainment, whereas queer baiting is definitely, yeah, I completely agree where it's a marketing technique. I think we would be remiss to not talk about Harry Potter, even though J.K. Rowling can go F herself, um, because I think that is usually the example that people use for queer baiting, right, is explicitly saying to people, yes, Dumbledore is gay. He is gay. Yeah. And... Um, every opportunity that they've had with movies and films after the actual main movie series has never taken an opportunity to even for a second display that. Yeah, I think those are great examples. Tony? Yeah, I, I think. Well, I was just gonna say, like, uh, queer baiting doesn't even require queer coding. 
Because mm. I don't think any of us really looked at Dumbledore and said, oh, that's a gay man. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, she was actually questioned on her, the lack of representation within the fiction where she drops the bombshell in an interview. You know, it wasn't like it was a high profile interview. I think it was some sort of like book reading or a fan event or something where she says, well, actually, I always imagined Dumbledore to be gay. And that's why that relationship and that tension is always there between uh, Dumbledore and oh, what's the other character? The one that he's supposedly in love with. And that's why they go back and forth for all those years. It escapes me right now, but you guys know what I'm talking about. You Potterheads, you know. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I think, yeah, queer baiting is, I think that's where it definitely differs from queer coding, where queer coding is the very visible traits that are there, you know, whereas queer baiting can sometimes, you don't even have to have, you know, that coding there. You can just do what they've done and say like, well, that's a, that's a queer person. Look, we got one of those but we're not going to actually show you anything about them living their lives as a queer person. Right. And I think with queer coding, when you asked that question, Yale, it made me think about how I would relate this to our first episode around being quote unquote groundbreaking, right? Because mm -hmm. I think there's something to queer coding where it was kind of a requirement in order to have some sort of nod to queer people but without being struck down by the studios, because back then it was much less accepting to have anything more explicit. Yeah, I think it seems like um, queer baiting does not require queer coding, but queer coding feels like queer baiting to me. Interesting. Okay. Um, I See, I prepared for this one and I watched <laughs> watched a lot of videos and read a lot of things about the history, right, of queer coding, where, uh, you know, this all arises from the Hays Code, which was that conservative right. uh, set of rules that cinema had that, you know, basically, you could not favorably depict people who were evil, sinful, you know, et cetera, et cetera, deviant. And within those definitions, you couldn't positively portray gay people. So what ended up happening is that you couldn't even portray people as being gay because that was just seen as like, you know, unless they were going to be portrayed as a villain, which is mm -hmm. why we do get a whole litany of these characters that are like, you know, the slightly effeminate men in like these, you know, noir films, or you get the women who are like, you know, just, yes, they're sex crazed and they'll even go after your women. That's how sex crazed they are. Right. Um, <laughs> how dare so, they be powerful and how in their sexuality. Dare they. Leave our women alone. How dare you? Um, no. So <laughs> what you got was a bunch of people who were then like, you know, even with the best of intentions, like, how do we do this? How do we even just give a nod to, you know, uh, uh, this audience, this entire, you know, section of the population in a way that we can actually get away with it because they were being heavily censored and filtered, you know, through, um, you know, the, the film commission. So then you ended up with a bunch of, you know, these characters that are like, are they, aren't they? Well, of course they are, but, you know, we can't really say that, you know, so that's when it does feel like queer baiting because it's like, it's so obvious obvious that that is meant to be a queer person and yet you never cross the finish line but that's because of the limitations that were in place in the time uh, i believe the the code was struck down in the late 60s 68 which is why you get 
this explosion of representation on the screen in the 70s, 80s, and thereafter. But you still have remnants of those tropes that are showing up, which is why there's an entire discourse of like why Disney villains are coded as gay and queer. Right. And it's because, you know, we're not relying on the tropes of we want to negatively portray queer people, but it's a trope from classic cinema. Yeah, I think about a lot whether or not it's nature or nurture that we kind of embrace those characters in a way and you know there's something romantic and very enticing about identifying with the bad guy or the person that is a little bit more vampy (laughs) Um, (laughs) right (laughs) but yeah i'm super curious to know more about your thoughts on why queer coding can read to you as baiting and like how can there be an overlap for you because for me i think a lot of queer coding as the way that um that tony talks about where it's kind of like a product of old times and how like this would not be made if it was more explicit. I'm thinking very much about like Xena and Gabriella. I know that it was much heavy handed where it might not even be considered queer coded anymore, but I'm still kind of throwing it in that category. And also Sora and Riku from Kingdom Hearts. That's a little bit more of a stretch, but like (laughs) I argue for it. Yeah, so I think Xena and Gabriella are like a really great example. It was the butt of the joke, you know, at the time it was they're clearly lesbians. And the idea that we were, I feel like as a viewer was baited to continue to watch because, you know, maybe one day we'll let them be gay. Like they're gay, but we're not going to. So they were very much coded as lesbians or at least in a lesbian relationship. I know Cena had sex with lots of men um, and good for her. Um, But uh, I just, I think that I'm just, I'm supportive of Cena having sex. All right. Okay. So I think that that coding in and of itself was baiting the audience. I also, kind of have an issue with and and this is a personal thing i kind of have an issue with the concept of queer baiting because to me it feels more like fan baiting and doesn't limit necessarily to queer things um i think it is a marketing ploy to bait fans into watching it it's interesting because i i actually don't remember hearing about xena and gabrielle being the butt of the joke but maybe to rewatch it because I think I was more attached to the moments where they actually were genuinely affectionate towards each other mm-hmm. and expressed their love towards each other. I think a lot about like, does it count as queer coding if the person actually says that they love you, even though it might be interpreted as like a platonic love? I guess it still is, but I, I just think about that a lot where I, I found Zena and Gabrielle to be quite affirming for myself at the time. But but again, you know, I've I've moved on and I've watched other things that are much more overt. Yeah. Yeah. So are we all talking about Supernatural? Is that what we're doing right now? Because that show just wrapped up and there was a huge uh, kerfuffle online about how the character of Castiel, you know, who is an angel and we don't really get to like see much of anything with angels and the way in which they uh, express their own sexuality just because even they themselves are meant are kind of uh, they seem to be genderless. You know, just because they are always, you know, whenever they are, you know, depicted, it's because they are inhabiting a human host, right? So it was never really questioned, but then to have this longstanding relationship with the character of Castiel and then Dean, where, you know, of course, that captured the fan imagination. There were a bunch of people that were like, it's so clearly obvious that this angel is in love with the human. You know, it it goes beyond just like a, you know, brotherly, you know, uh, brother in arms kind of, you know, bond. And, you know, there's even this monologue where, you know, spoiler alert, uh, (laughs) it's like Castiel's last scene where he like, you know, sacrifices himself. And, you know, he says, I believe, the you know, he says, I love you or something to that effect. 
right? And for certain mm. audiences, they remove that, right? Because I believe it was, I, I don't even remember which country, but a country removed that specific line just because they felt like it came too close to actually confirming what we all, you know, have been baited into knowing. Not even, I'm like, we see it. I, we got eyes, you know, we've been able to see it for all this time. And even just within American audiences, it's like we never had the confirmation of them actually saying, like, I am romantically in love with you. Because even the word love has so many connotations. Like, what do you mean? What are you actually trying to say here? This is the moment. You're literally about to die. You're not going to have another opportunity. And then for the fans and, you know, the viewers to not get that resolution of actually hearing that confirmed was very upsetting for a lot of people. And me as just a casual viewer, it was like, yeah, this is kind of lame where you guys can't even say, you know, definitively what that relationship is and was for that long, you know, because it did occupy so much of that series. Yeah. And this isn't within the confines of the topic that we're talking about, but I think I heard a lot of other fans talk about how, oh, this is a typical trope where someone comes out and then they die. Right. Yes. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the barrier gaze trope. Um, so I uh, was not familiar with this term and this title up until uh, I will say 2017, 2016. I'm so sorry to the uh, fandom of the 100 series, but it was the Klexa situation that really introduced me to all of these concepts. Uh, for those who don't know, there and apologies if I get this wrong, but there were two characters. There was Lexa and Clark. And as soon as Klexa consummated and were happy, they immediately killed off Lexa. And uh, if I believe it was the exact same week that The Walking Dead also killed a lesbian. Oh um, so <laughs> it was the same week. And it got people very upset. And the more that I heard about this queer baiting that was happening, the more I uh, was interested in these concepts of this, you know, killing off a gay character as soon as they find happiness. This led to Winona Earp launching and saying that they are not going to kill off either of the uh, women in the main ship, the Way Hot ship. So that's Waverly Earp and Nicole Hot. I will say this. By making that announcement, as a viewer, it takes out a lot of suspense, right? Like, yeah, no one's yeah. going to, we know they're not going to die. So now when they're put in life-threatening situations or they're on death's door, they're not going to die. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a weird situation where it's like, couldn't you have just shown it and not told right. it? Right, like. It's kind of like um, being like, Oh, don't worry. Your hero will survive this movie. Okay, why am I going to watch this? Yeah, movie? I can't help but feel like, do they have some sort of weird concept of how the internet will preemptively cancel you for something? Like, maybe. <laughs> maybe. No, I think um, we have to address how the barrier gaze trope does stem from classic cinema. You know, we talked about, you know, the code mandating that yep. if you did depict sinful, evil behavior, it had to be unfavorably depicted which means that anybody that was coded as gay, right, they had to die. <laughs> like, that's why so many of these villains are coded as gay. And then in the end, they get yeah. justice is done and they end up dying. Um, and I think it's morphed into, well, now we can generate sympathy for these people by showing them mm. suffering and having bad things happen, happen to them. Right. right. 
Well, then there's also now in the modern day where now we're getting representation, but how many of those characters are actually lead series regulars or lead characters in a film? You know, these are all sidekick characters. And even worse, if they're queer people of color, because as we all know, there's even a more disproportionate amount of sidekicks of color rather than lead characters of color. Um, So then you're, yeah. So then you're just like, okay, like there's just a multitude. cis and white. Exactly. So there's just like this weird intersection where like yeah, the people then- that you're going to kill off for the benefit of showing your white lead going through something Completely. like they're yeah. Yeah. And then media, certain journalism sites will be like, look at this LB- LGBTQIA representation with one character <laughs> that is a white gay man. Thank you, sir. I'd like some more, but I'll just take this over. Please, please sir. <laughs> I mean, I think you make up. I may think you make some really great points about essentially the the barrier gaze trope uh, overlaps a lot with fridging, which mm. is another big problem trope. All of these, I think, are are problematic. I think hearing the history of queer coding is fascinating, but we are so many years past that. Like, let's right. let's make someone queer. Let's say they're queer and move along the story. Right, and I I bring it up just to kind of you know people who. I, I assume that our viewers, that they are creatives themselves. And if you are creating the story and you're thinking like, well, history and the trope dictates that I go this way. And it's like, no, that is really deeply, it's deep rooted into something that is really negative. And the reason why you think a story or a character arc should go a certain way is because that's just what you've been fed for so long, but that had a very diabolical like social and political reasoning to it. It wasn't because we felt like, oh, this is just thematically, you know, and narratively where a story should go in order to be the best form of the narrative and the theme and so on and so forth. It's because they had people (laughs) in charge of this. And not only that, but straight people in charge of this dictating, Mm -hmm. you know, what art and entertainment and fiction needed to be. And it still is having effects to this day in 2021. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So before we wrap up this conversation, is there any example of something positive that we could leave our audience with? Um, Maybe it is queer coding that is positive because we all agree that queer baiting is not. Queer coding, again, is not a terrible thing, right? Queer coding can serve a purpose where we actually are getting bits of representation whether or not it's intended or not you know like the way our community just likes to grab onto characters and claim them as our own because we identify with something about them you know like for example i think the ryan character from high school musical was the first time i ever saw a character like that in a kid's property you know who was so obviously to me like to my eyes i'm like that's very obviously you know a queer young kid you know who you know, loves performing, loves being a part of this entire, you know, theater world. And that was great. But then to kind of be frustrated, you know, with just kind of like, mm, they, you didn't. But then at the same time, you can then kind of still have an interpretation of like, well, that's still a young person figuring out their sexuality. Maybe they haven't even come out yet, even though I think it's fairly obvious by his sensational style um, that that is very obviously a queer uh, young man. Yuri on Ice is a very interesting example because like, you know, I think anime is getting better, but I understand why they had to do that because definitely it would be much more restricted if it was more overt. But it is it is like completely there. Like they exchange rings, but but they don't say that it's like they don't say it's engagement or marriage related rings. They're, they're just rings <laughs> that go with each other. They were roommates. 
room, roommates. One was tutoring the other. Um, His friend. Yeah. It's getting better. It is getting better. But for a time, we were starved of any kind of representation. You know, and especially like, you know, I'm such a Marvel fangirl. Even just seeing like, you know, um, Carol Danvers and Maria Rambeau where it's like, they're best friends. Like, no, that's a family. That's a whole lesbian family with a child. And it just really, again, the frustration, but also knowing that like, you know, it is frustrating, but this is a baby step. And I know that it's going to be inevitable until we do have an openly gay uh, lead character as a superhero. And sure enough, it is coming. We know for a fact that it is coming. They've mm-hmm. made those announcements. We know for a fact that it is going to happen. Um, along the way, it is frustrating. But it's also encouraging to know that even something as massive and visible as something like a Marvel mega franchise can make those steps. Yeah, and... I agree that a lot of this does come from scarcity, from representation, but I also don't think that queer coding needs to stop when things get better, honestly, because for for me, it's like, there's still a sense of fun in taking a property that was not intended to be queer and queering it, you know? Mm. Um, I think there there is a lot of empowerment that comes from inserting our identities into a relationship in a way and taking it a little bit for ourselves in whatever form. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, I mean, that's why last week we played Make It Gay. But this week, um, we're going to go back to our new crush of the week because it's fun to have crushes on people on TV. (laughs) So uh, who would like to start with their new crush of the week? I'm going to go ahead and shout out Park Cannon. That is the Georgia state representative that protested that God awful voter restriction bill that just got signed into law. She's the woman that was knocking on the door of, you know, of of Kemp and she was arrested for, I I still don't really know the the ins and outs and details uh, because to me it just seemed like they arrested her for knocking on a door. But I love the fact that that woman had the balls to just literally just go and knock on a door and say that this is absolutely unacceptable and I'm going to stand up for what I believe in. So, I mean, she's just, ugh. And I don't want to like hype up like what must have been like a really like horrific moment for her of being arrested. Being arrested is not a fun thing to do um, unless you're Jane Fonda, apparently. Um, (laughs) But I love the fact that there was just such a great moment where uh, honestly she's going to be i think a hero for the ages i think history is going to look very favorably to her and just like as like a woman from the south i always bristle whenever people are like the south is so conservative i'm like no just there's a lot of (laughs) voter suppression and restriction in place and they want you to think that and it's not and people like her definitely i'm like i'm like getting really hyped about it and i know it's not like the tingle and jingle kind of like crush but like i just i really needed to hype her up this week so Somebody talk about something silly. Go, go. Okay, I'll 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 go because mine's silly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, okay, my question this week is uh, named Erin Kellyman. Um, I don't know much about her. I don't know much about what's going on, but um, she appeared in Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I immediately was like, <gasps> "She's beautiful." <laughs> um, so. Aaron Kellyman, I don't know anything about your character yet, but I'm so here for it. Chris. All right. So I recently joined the, I know I'm late. I recently officially deemed myself as a Paul Bettany simp 
mm. from watching WandaVision and also realizing that, oh, he actually has a lot of range. He's, he's, he's a very talented actor. Because um, I remembered recently that he played Silas on The Da Vinci Code. I'm a huge fan of The Da Vinci Code, even though a lot of people who read books look down on that book. I, I love religious conspiracy. So, um, but I actually wanted to give my shout out more so to Natalie Wynn. Most people probably know them as ContraPoints on YouTube. Um, I just learned so much from her. And I think they were always a very beautiful person inside and out to me. And I would really like to be their friend. And I said in a in the least creepy way possible. <laughs> um, I appreciate that both of your crushes this week are like very positive. Like, <laughs> this is something great. This is someone you should check out. And I was like, I saw this girl and thought she was cute. <laughs> That's what it's supposed to be. There's just weird stuff going out in the world right now. Yeah. 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 And so I, the only other person I'm crushing on is Sebastian Stan. And I'm like, listen, the world has had enough of like cis white men being crushed on. Okay. Like I'm going to hype up somebody else. All right. <laughs> All right. That's fair. Um, this has been our new crush of the week. Let us know who you're crushing on this week. Give us some ideas. Who should we check out? Okay. Let's talk about some things that are going on in the news. This is our headline segment. Um, or queer news. Uh, so model actress Lena Bloom is smashing boundaries all over. In 2019, she was the first trans woman of color to lead a film. Uh, it was called Port Authority at the Cannes Film Festival. And now she is the first black and Asian trans woman to be featured in Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Um, Lena is the second trans model to be featured in the annual Swimsuit Edition, which has been slowly progressing towards inclusion over the years. But the question still stands, do we need a swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i going to have the unpopular opinion. I enjoy looking at hot people. Like, I enjoy that. So I don't think that's ever going to go away. Wait, you enjoy looking at hot people? I know. Like, tragic. I know. <laughs> But I think I do agree with you where it's like, the again, we talked about these baby steps towards inclusion. Mm. Like, no, let's get in there, man. Why aren't there men in there? Put the men in there, okay? Put put some non-binary folks in there. Like, let's go ahead. And if we're going to talk about just putting hot people to just appreciate them for being hot, let's talk about the full spectrum of hotness. Great points. Uh, Chris, <laughs> you, have the, you have the next story? Yes. Uh, speaking of trans representation, Pantene, the shampoo company as if people don't know what it is, release an ad starring a trans child of her lesbian moms to remind people, hair is more than how you look. It's how you are seen. Of course, the commercial was met with transphobia and hate, but the brand doubled down, issuing a response that transphobia has no place in our world or on our feed. So, good on you. Because you're worth it too. <laughs> but also, like... It's also good marketing, so I don't really know how appreciative to be of, of this. You know, right. it's it's all it's always like a gray area where it's good because they have resources and this commercial will obviously reach a lot of people and hopefully make them think if they still hold negative views towards this community. But also it is the job of companies to be with the times in order to still make money. So Yeah. 
Well, to keep this good news train going, uh, Japanese courts handed out a landmark ruling saying it would be unconstitutional to ban same-sex marriage. While that sounds like same-sex marriage is now legal, it's not exactly the case. The ruling is a major symbolic victory because mm -hmm. the Constitution still defines marriage as being based on the mutual consent of both sexes. While a new law would be needed before same-sex same marriages can actually take place, which could take some time in socially conservative Japan, the plaintiff's lawyer called the ruling revolutionary while LGBT activists deemed it life-changing. So yay for progress. Yeah, um, absolutely. So we've spoken a bit about Elliot Page uh, in the past, mostly about the upcoming new season of Umbrella Academy, which I'm very stoked about. Um, but he was just on the cover of Time magazine with an interview about his coming out as a trans man. And he talked a bit about the entertainment industry and what um, he's experiencing since coming out. I want to talk a little bit about the coming out of it all, um, because recently Ella Hunt from Apple TV Plus's series Dickinson came out as queer. Teen Wolf alum Tyler Posey came out as pan in the weirdest way on like Instagram and through his OnlyFans. Um, but how do we feel about the spectacle of celebrities coming out? This is a thing that I know we've grown up with and seen for so long. But how do we feel about this? Yeah, this is something that we've talked a little bit about with Gabby, mm -hmm. the wrestler who came yeah. out in the first episode. Um, yeah, I definitely have a lot of mixed feelings of on this, especially as someone... I mean, we all have friends who are on the more famous side, I think. And I, I do think to myself sometimes, oh, it must be nice to be famous and then also be able to come out and drive more support for yourself in a way. Um, and I know that there's some hate that can come, but... I imagine that it's drowned out by all of the other supporters for the most part. Um, you know, I think a lot about how I started off my public stuff already kind of out. So I, I'm not like, oh, I wish I waited and to come out because I wouldn't want to do that. Like if I'm not afraid of saying it, then I'm not, then I will say it. But yeah, the whole spectacle thing is kind of odd for me because I do think that it, it can encourage this sense of, needing to publicly come out and the sense of needing to make a spectacle out of it. Um, you know, I grew up on watching a lot of white YouTubers, famous white YouTubers who were gay, and they were very adamant about telling their audience that I, I just think about how they they told people like me, even though our experiences are not the same, like, no, like it is important and you owe it to your parents to come out in person. And it took a lot of therapy, shout out to my therapist, who was like, why do you have to come out to your parents in person? If you don't feel safe doing that, then come out however the hell you want because it's your coming out. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a really great point. Um, I, I know that a lot of people are not in a safe situation where they can't come out to their families. And one of the things I always tell, you know, younger friends of mine is you don't have to, to come out if you're not ready, if you're not safe, if you're not in that place, no one should force you out ever. Um, but you see these celebrities coming out and I feel like maybe when we were younger, uh, I'm speaking for myself as I'm assuming the oldest person here, um, that uh, seeing, seeing a celebrity come out, let me know, oh, there are queer adults. Um, mm -hmm. And, and then, 
now we have so many, so many people. I don't know that I need, if a celebrity's gay, I don't need a, I don't need a cover story about it. You know, it doesn't sound like a headline to me that you're gay. I, I kind of understand more coming out as trans because there are a lot of changes in your life, right? If, especially if you're an actor. Elliot needed to let us know his name and his pronouns. And I think that that's essentially it. But in the article, he talks a little bit about the lack of um, trans men um, as representation and that growing up, he didn't necessarily have someone. And I, I think that's interesting. And I, I get why we want to come out and help future generations. I just don't know that, you know, when Matt Bomer thanked his husband and kids in an award show, that didn't need to turn into a headline that he's gay. Oh, yeah, completely. Um, and, and you know, like, I do think that there is a privilege in, I know I kind of hit on this already, but there is a privilege in being white and coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm not like directing this at Elliot or or anything. I'm just saying like in general, like I I, I see the 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 sense of safety that can come. I I see the fact that media feeds us this image right of like, you know, the crying parents being like, oh, I accept you, my child, and then like the next day there's a rainbow flag and your parents are like trying to set you up with like you know the one other queer person they know, um, and that really doesn't happen. Um, but also I just want to. On behalf of everyone here, I do want to emphasize to every to everybody listening that none of us identify as trans. We're we're going off of things that we know from listening to tr trans friends and people who are kind enough to share their insights with us, who do know. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Tony, you had something to say? Yeah, I I um I don't think I would have even come to the realization that I'm bisexual. Um, if not for the public, um, um, people being public with their experiences, you know, especially in the media, you know, I'm thinking mostly, and this is going to be so lame, but I really do credit Tumblr for a lot of like my early education, because that was that medium, um, that platform was really well suited for folks to either just put their own thoughts, you know, to paper, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. or to just uh, people who are willing to educate others because they feel very strongly about being able to um, share the language in order to describe the full spectrum of gender and, and sexuality. For so long, I really did believe that I was a straight woman because I didn't understand how deeply ingrained bi erasure is and bi invisibility is and how that can even affect me, a bisexual woman, because for so long, I just assumed that like, well, everybody thinks women and men are equally beautiful because they have eyes, right? Yes, men are disgusting and terrible. However, they're really cute and hot. But women, ah, beautiful. Obviously, everybody has those thoughts and somebody had to be like, no, not everybody has those thoughts. I'm like, oh, oh, one plus one is two. Oh, I'm bisexual. Great. So I really do. I really am grateful for folks who have gone ahead and put out their experiences out like that. And there is a big difference between somebody anonymously posting on Tumblr in order to share educational resources versus somebody like a celebrity coming out. If we're talking about celebrities coming out and whether or not we need that or not, I mean, I think we're also speaking from a point of privilege because I assume we're all out. And if we're not, hello, hi. hi <laughs> hello. We have a queer podcast. Wait, but this podcast is queer? Gay as hell, I'll tell oh you. My God. <laughs> I did not catch that from the name. <laughs> No, but I mean, is this I think Christian, though, I'm just kidding. 
Christian by mingle. Yes, 100 <laughs> percent. Um, no, I think we are speaking from a point. We are already out. We don't have to go through that experience other than just to reiterate to others, because we all know that the coming out process is not just a one and done deal. Yeah. There are a lot of people, though, out there who are going to take these public displays and translate them into private interactions between their own. Do I believe that everybody out there who needs to come out needs to do it in such a public fashion? Absolutely not. And like we've talked about, it's not always safe for you to do that. Um, Does every celebrity need to do that? They don't need to, but unfortunately, the media is the media. And I think we need to address the fact that the media is still very old. It's very traditional and conservative in its attitudes. So when Matt Bomer is living his life and, you know, saying thank you to my husband and my kids and the media goes nuts, I mean, that's the difference between of intent and function. He intended to just be a person living his life. And the function of it was that the media went wild and took it as Matt Bomer is out and about and he's proud, waving the rainbow flag. No, that didn't happen. He's just doing what anybody else did. But we took notice because it's unusual in the fact that he's thinking of man instead of a wife. So I, 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 yeah, it's just a weird thing. I think I would be more upset if there were people who were coming out and using it to leverage something like if they're going to come out and then announce a brand deal. <laughs> no. Oh my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my coming out briefs, my coming out moisturizers, you know, Honestly, coming out that's essential oils. <laughs> I'm going to do that. That's how I'm going to come out. Um, I, yes. I think these are really great points. Uh, thank you so much. And anyone in the chat or, or watching us uh, on YouTube or wherever you're watching us, uh, let us know your thoughts, please, on this. What do you think about the coming out spectacle? Um, before we announce who won the uh, fluid beauty giveaway, um, here we like to talk about some positive brands. Yeah. So instead of another athletic discrimination story, we're spotlighting LGBTQ plus owned companies, especially ones that are actively giving back to our own community. Today, we want to tell you about Because. Because comes from 22-year-old Hawa Ibrahim, a Black Muslim queer fashion designer who decided to pursue her dream of having her own brand. She launched Because in 2019, at a time in her life when she felt like she didn't belong anywhere, deciding to channel that feeling into creating something in hopes it would help herself and others find a sense of belonging because provides fashion that makes people happy and excites them to get dressed every day. Everything is handmade and designed by Hawa, so a lot of extra love is put into each garment and accessory. In honor of our partnership, because it's offering a discount code for the month of April 2021, use the code BCXPOD for 15% off at shopvc.us. Again, that's BCXPOD for 15% off shop bc.us limited to one use per customer awesome thank you so much tony thank you Hawa, and thank you because it is time for us to announce the winner of our fluid beauty giveaway um and while we get that winner pulled up i will also remind everyone that our intrigue chocolate code is good through april 15th so be sure to check that out on the last episode if you're looking for some chocolate All right. The winner of our Fluid Beauty giveaway over on Instagram is Hannah.orwhat, which is such a great name. Congratulations, Hannah or what? Please DM that hashtag show on Instagram um, or comment below if you're watching us on YouTube. Yep. Those are the ways. Congratulations. Uh, So exciting. And we, of course, still have that Fluid Beauty 
uh, discount code, which you can hear in the last two episodes of our show. And that's it for today. That is our show. Um, thank you again to my amazing panel. Tony, where can everyone keep up with you? What are you up to these days? Oh, you know, just the same. No, you guys can find me on all social medias at the Tony Sanchez, Tony with an I, Sanchez with a Z. Thank you so much. And Chris, where are you these days and where can everyone keep up with you? People can find me on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram, and uh, hopefully with GamerX soon. Uh, I'm, I do have some plans with them that I am not announcing yet, but you can find me on my personal social media. Everything is one winged Chris. That's one spelled out, not the number one. Winged Chris. Perfect. I'm Yell Teagle. I'm everywhere at Yell Teagle. That's Y-A-E-L-T-Y-G-I-E-L. And if you like watching someone who does not know how to play video games, I don't know why you would, but people seem to like that. Um, it's over at twitch.tv slash Yell Teagle. Right now I am trying very poorly to make it through the uh, Legend of Zelda a Link to the Past on Super Nintendo. It's funny, last time I turned into a buddy. <laughs> and I rhyme sometimes. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. It's a bunny. It's a gay bunny. <laughs> I just turned into a bunny. It's a Christian gay bunny. <laughs> <laughs>